and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, we're going for a walk. Okay. As we talk about episode 7 from 2021's adaptation of Stephen King's The Stand. Cardiovascular exercise. That's right. Lovely scenery. Before we get into it, how was your week? My week was okay. I spent the weekend catching up on very old movies um, and watching a couple of new ones that weren't very good. Oh. But yeah, the problem was it's when you've seen enough films, you also see where people just sort of Take things. Take things and do the same sort of film over and over again. So I felt like I had watched these movies before and I wind, wound, that inspired me. I was going to say I wound up now. That inspired me to just go through the original films that I liked. So I was catching up on um, all of the films in Roger Corman's post-cycle, starting with The Fall of the House of Usher and The Pit and the Pendulum and even through his attempt at H.P. Lovecraft when he did The Haunted Palace. And they're all sort of fun, and there's beautiful color photography and Vincent Price hamming it up. So, yeah. Nice. So how was your weekend? You had a trip. I had a trip. Mm -hmm. I went away. I played games. I came back. That was my weekend. Vide, vine, vice. Something like that. Yeah, veni, vidi, vice. Yes. I, uh, yes, I came. I played. I conquered, I guess. Uh, Yeah. So... I will apologize because this episode will be late, but hopefully not too late because we are recording on a Wednesday. As in the day before this drops. So tomorrow morning I will edit because I am not editing tonight. Because in a tribute to my favorite character, Glenn Bateman, Mm -hmm. I am faping while recording, which means I will not be editing after this. Also, it's because I have a headache. Also... Y'all have heard me say that Greg Kinnear played Glenn Bateman like six or seven times on this podcast, but while we were watching this episode, everyone in the house, except me, who has said it six or seven times while we've been recording this podcast, realized that that is Greg Kinnear. It's unnecessary to inform our audience that somehow through a lapse in, um, I'm not sure exactly what to call it, consciousness, Attention. Uh, that I was unaware, or perhaps I thought Greg Kinnear but was you the all, person. But Stephanie was also unaware, and this is the fourth episode he's been in, so I don't well, even understand. look like, I, I remember the young, fresh-faced I Greg guess. Kinnear from quite a long time ago. And I knew he was in it, right. so that's part of it. Also, his voice is so distinctive to me that as soon as he talked, I knew who it was. Well, he's, he's very scruffy now, yeah. and he doesn't. He The early part of his career was We need was to talk about scruff in this episode. Clear shave, clean shaven. He was, yeah. And so I didn't recognize him, and I remember recognize him rather, and I remember him as a young man. So yeah, that's true. Sometimes, and he's older; he's in his sixties now. Mm. Uh, Doesn't look it. Of course, he does now that I know that he's Greg Kinnear. Fifty-eight years old, so he's not even in his sixties. But yeah, I um, I'm a big fan of that character. He's my favorite, and Mm. so I'm vaping also because I have a headache. And also because it's been a day. It hasn't really been a day. I just spent an hour and a half trying to get a food, and then (laughs) I got frustrated. So, you want to get into this episode? This episode episode. had some highs and a couple of weird lows. I think it's the best episode for me so far. It's a really good episode. And I rewatched it today because I didn't feel like I had taken it in Mm -hmm. appropriately. So, it opens with Harold and Nadine exploding. An explosion. Okay. It's the left. It's a little crossover with what happened last time. And this time, 
we see what happens after they push the button, which is Nadine reaches out to touch Harold, and Harold says, uh, that's done with us. We do not touch anymore. And I'm like, I'm sure she's heartbroken over it. Yeah. And she, he gets real low in her face and just stays there for like a really long time. The timing on this episode is weird. The timing on this episode is weird, and we will get into that. But, um, and says, I'm, he's going to give me a woman that makes you look like a potato sack. And I'm just like, oh, sweet summer child. He's a lovely, you lovely man. Are an idiot. If that's his queen, what makes you think you're going to get anything? Mm. And y'all. He's not gonna get anything, but we'll get it to it. He says, "Come He'll on, get let's the point. go." Yes, indeed. Uh-huh. Woof. Uh, he <laughs> said, "Let's go." I want to be a hundred, a hundred miles gone by sunup, and I'm like, "Isn't it like, like eleven o'clock at night?" Right. Like, I would hope you. How fast can these motorcycles go? Because I feel like you could be several hundred miles gone. So. um then we see little aftermaths, aftermaths from the explosion down in Boulder. Um, and we see that, uh, we find out that Franny and the baby are okay. She's banged up. But the baby seems all right. Stu's okay. Uh, Larry uh, shows up uh, and talks to Glenn mm-hmm. uh, and gets the update on everybody. And, and Glenn says, well, if you're here, that must mean they put you put the fires out. And he's like, yeah, there's a couple little spots, but we kept stop the spread. Uh, and they talk a little bit about, or they, they talk about what they're going to bury of Nick. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and Glenn says, well, we're going to have to bury something. Right. Uh, and Larry says, you know, she was, he was her favorite. If she doesn't wake up, it might be a blessing. And I'm like, she definitely knows that Nick is dead because she knew you guys all existed right. before. She even knew who you were. She He's talks to God in her to sleep. His skepticism. <laughs> he with he is weirdly skeptical still yeah. at this point. Um, it's hard to change uh, a whole construct of the world, mm-hmm. especially in the face of things like this. That's true. And uh, and then we get we uh, there we see Ray with uh, Mother Abigail, and uh, she wakes up. Whoopi Goldberg wakes up. And she says, go get everybody. And by, mm. of course, everybody, she means Fran and Stu and Larry and Glenn and Ray. That's everybody. <laughs> um, and they all go in. Franny's in a wheelchair. She's got a bandage on her head. Her mm-hmm. face is all bruised up. And she she does an amazing thing, which is um, she says that she was too proud and therefore, God smote Nick. That's literally what her reasoning is. So she believes that she had the she was a, she's she su- not suffered. She committed the sin of pride. Mm-hmm. She thought Nick was the one to lead them, and the Lord chose to take Nick home. So that is how she has phrased it. I made Nick the my the, chosen the one, and so God's God went. Yeah. And I'm just like, what? Okay. That is some <laughs> Pauline reasoning. It's pretty spectacular. Yes. I was just like, I don't remember. Vessel of I don't of remember wrath. that before. Vessel of wrath, exactly. Right. Yeah. So it's her fault that Nick was smote, mm-hmm. which definitely he was, <laughs> but not by God, mostly by Harold, but that's fine. Uh, and she says, uh, Y'all are going to walk to the dark man. 
you're going to take no food, take no water, mm-hmm. only the clothes on your back. Franny won't go. One of you will fall. That's what I got to say. Yeah. <laughs> and dies. <laughs> That's a wrap. This is a, a huge pity because I think the the the, the polar opposites in this story mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. were both horribly underused. Mm-hmm. And we get much more and misused. Of, yes, we get much more of flag in yeah. this episode. Yeah, because we have to. We're yeah. moving towards and the end. And he's better in this than right. he has been previously. Well, he's also given more to do. Um, yeah, they and don't put him on quite such a tight leash. It's a huge pity that we didn't get to see more of these two. Yeah, um, I agree with you because the parts were both really well cast, but yeah, the direction. Then that they gave given, it, the, yeah. the problem is I think I feel. Oh, I should say. We don't open with the with Boulder mm-hmm. or with Harold. My bad. We open with Trash Can Man. Oh, okay. Who we see in the previously then was given the instruction to go get a nuke. Not in that many words, but that's what he said. But please be clear, when Randall Flagg says, bring me the big fire. So he said, bring this to me. So right. now if he is shocked that this thing comes to him, I am going to be aggravated because right. y'all wrote this shit down. <laughs> okay. So trash we see for about two minutes, about the same amount of time mm. we saw him in the previous episode. So I think the total time we're going to get Ezra Miller is like, Seven and a you half minutes. Spend too much time with this guy, though. I I like that they've upped his makeup. He's clearly been burning more shit between mm-hmm. the last time we saw him and this time because half of his hair on one side of his right. head is gone. Um, his face looks like it's melting because radiation. Because at the beginning, he opens up a nuclear silo, mm-hmm. hoists up the tip of the missile. Which y'all, I didn't know that's where the poison Warhead fire is. is. Yeah. But I don't understand how warhead war- heads work. Apparently, trash though well, he knows he figures that shit out from the source of ignition. Because I guess that's right. <laughs> you don't want it to be. You know like, what? Oops! It blew up when we launched it. If I <laughs> gave it some thought, I think I might be able to come up with the design and the reasoning for it. You're right, but I did not know that before that. And so then we see him. He's hoisted this thing up, and then he like climbs on it like a spider monkey or a girl on a dude in a romance comedy or okay. a rom-com. He's like, you ain't getting up. Climbs up on it and hugs it. Hugs the nuclear warhead. I'm like, that is bad for you, sir. <laughs> that is, can I give you some asbestos to eat? Because this is not... That's not although help. eating asbestos is not what's dangerous. It's better than dying from radiation poisoning, probably. Uh, you might actually have a longer leash on life. Well, that's the, um, what I'm saying. Yeah. Is eating asbestos isn't what gets In you. In both cases, breathing you're going to die. It does, but, yeah, no, he's, uh, he's, he's looking real rough. Uh, it's a leash on life. And the only and the only thing and that's the, the only thing we get from him. I thought that I don't know, the timing on this is super weird, but that's fine. So okay. uh Larry, um Larry, Glenn, Ray, Stu. We're going for a walk. We're gonna bring Kojak, because of course we are, we're bringing the damn dog with us. Franny is not gonna go. So mm-hmm. there is a scene between Franny and Stu. Where Franny says she believes that Mother Abigail does speak for God. She mm-hmm. asks Stu what he thinks, and he's like, I don't know, but I saw her in my dreams, and she's real. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and she's, but then she says, you have to promise to come home to me. And he's like, I can't do that. Because Mother Abigail explicitly says, I don't know what's going to happen. One of you is going to fall. 
But other than that, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. And she's like, you have to promise to come back to me. And he's like, I don't know how you expect me to do that when we don't know what's going to happen. And I'm literally walking into the enemy's, excuse me, territory. Uh, and she's like, well, God can't have, it can't control all of it. Not all of it. And I'm like, I mean, the theology <laughs> of this film is, you're really ho- yeah. cobbling together some things here. Now, this, I, I know why this is happening. This is happening because this is what happens in the book. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it's happening logically in these people's lives. Though. Right. He sent, one person their way that was crucified and dying. He sent, well, he supposedly or presumably has controlled Harold and Nadine's actions mm. to cause this offense. Other than that, why would you? I here's a question. Okay, wait, was your, wait. Before that, you were saying something that you stopped. And what was to I ask saying? A question. You just like you. You no, interrupted no, no. yourself. Well, yes, I did. because yeah. for Specifically because I want to start with this premise. All right. It's the end of the world, mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes. We're at the end of a pandemic, say, okay. that has killed 99% of the population. So there are 200,000 Americans left, mm-hmm. or whatever. Say, it's that's high for this. It's actually significantly less, I think. So, But if there were 200,000 people left in America... Um, and you kind of knew that there were pockets of people, but there were very few people overall. Would you go seek out the people that have sworn against you, or would you just, like, find a comfortable place to live and just live your damn life well, out? Think based on the, uh, the crucifixion gram that they got sent... Mm. The idea is that they're all in danger because he's going to come after them. Mm. So this is something in the order of a preemptive strike. Gotcha. Which uh, With no strike, because right. they're going... Uh, well, there's go- a lot of biblical allusions in this yes, episode. that is we, true. Uh, Moses doesn't enter the promised land of the Bible because of the sin of pride. Oh, really? And so I think there's a reflection on there because she is the Moses character, right? Right. Um... And also, it reflects when Jesus sends out his disciples and tells them to go, tells them to go out harmless. This the, first, right. the first okay. missionary uh, mission that he sends while he's alive uh-huh. um, is to go out there and don't take any money with you, don't take any belongings with you, because yeah. what you're going to discover is that you'll be provided with everything right. that you need. And the second missionary uh, mission that he gives them after he's died and resurrected is okay, now go out there and, and take care of yourself because you're on your own. This yeah. time I'm going to provide for you next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take your, so it feels kind of like he's uh, King is alluding to these things yeah. in the it's story. Just, it's just, I just, I haven't gotten mm. enough of a threat in this particular situation yes, where I'm just like, problem. why don't you guys just spend your, with your 5,000 people or whatever in Boulder, mm. just try and live good lives. Right. Like, I don't understand this going out to... There's not it, a, it's there's baffling to me. Not a, a, I can understand after Harold, maybe. Yeah, I guess the, that's right, Harold's because now they don't they know. suffered a terrorist attack and lost that's some true. people. Now they have to do something. It's a real post-9-11 right, world. Sort of preemptive. They have to go in there and stop it before it happens again, because they don't know who else has been infiltrated. That's, that's, so that's, that's that. where that plan makes sense. <sighs> 
But um, but otherwise, yes, it seems really weird based on just the threat from what might have been a crazy person. Excuse me, let me rephrase that because that sounds diminu- uh, reductive. Yeah, which is a word I hate. But uh, this person who might have had a, a, a loose hold on reality, being right. that they were dying at the time and speaking in other voices, right? Um, and they weren't even sure what that meant, right? Some of them were willing to accept that meant he was possessed and he was sending some sort of message. Yeah. And others weren't. Uh, but based on that alone, that wouldn't have been enough. But I think after the, the bomb that blows up, one of their really important people, and several others as collateral damage, yeah. it was meant for all of them. Yeah, no, they, their intent yeah. was to kill Mother Abigail and literally all of them and right. as many other people as possible. And we could, if we're following the idea that Mother Abigail's in a divine plan, that this sort of digression that she did wandering away because she was worried about her faithfulness actually saved hers, her life and the life of a bunch of other people. Yeah. So uh, if the whole point of the stand is to see the divine workings sort of manipulating people to do good even when they don't know that they're doing it. I don't know. Here's me. I want to go to Seattle and live by myself. I don't need that. I don't need any of these people. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're eager to start a civilization again. And that, I think yeah. I would I would probably take the Burgess Meredith route of finding the largest library I can and just yeah. read as many Where books would as you want to go? That's the here that is um, the question that occurred to me earlier while I was watching this. I'm like, well where would you want to go if if you had the whole country and you had to sort of start from scratch from somewhere, where right. would you want to go? I don't know. I think that the question is I wouldn't what is good about what they're doing? The idea of rebuilding civilization yeah. is water, electricity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Problem, you, know, you don't have to start from scratch. It's right. not like a fresh island or a but, fresh um, a planet where you have to start from scratch with everything. We have all of our right. infrastructure. We just have to find people who know how to make it work and then make it work right, exactly. in small in small areas. Otherwise, you're if you chose a major city, there's still roving gangs of murderers and kidnappers. I mean, or, maybe. I don't know. I um, bet you could find a, a suburb I mean, that was mostly Mr. Out. Flag hasn't pulled those in. But you also, in major cities, have millions of decaying bodies. Yeah, that's a problem. And that's an issue. So it's you're, you're stuck with either you're camping, yeah. essentially, or you're in some place where you're in constant danger of disease and other issues. Yeah. A city, a major city, despite the wonderful libraries, would probably be overrun with rats and that's true. It would, in, in for, no time. My guess is that you want about three years before you go into a major city right. for everything to desiccate to the point where it wasn't mm-hmm. actively feeding bacteria. And, right. And, uh, and even the water supply in a major city would be ruined, I think. Um, but yeah, but I think three years would probably give it enough time to flush out. And how and that's why again a community is a good idea. How handy are you? Do you think you yeah, could that's get a true. toilet flushing? Yeah. Do you think you could get I mean the electricity seemed to be their major accomplishment and I almost living, think you know the best place to start would be right. one of as one of those people who lives like off the grid in Alaska right. where you're just like, Well, my life has literally not changed at yeah. all. Um but like I wouldn't want to live in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. It's too hot. Yes. I wouldn't want to live in Boulder. Here's the real thing, though. If it was a post-climate change disaster thing, mm-hmm. I would want to live in Boulder. Boulder's actually the perfect place. It's the middle of the country. It's the furthest away. When 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 the right, land mass right. is beset by the raising, rising water, which, y'all, it will be, Colorado's going to be fine. It's mm-hmm. It's 
deep enough in yeah. and high enough up <laughs> that it's going to be all right. But it snows there. Well, there was a really fun, um, like, mental exercise that was done in one of my groups on Facebook. A group dedicated to people who love kaiju. And the notion was, well, what if something like Godzilla existed or mm -hmm. something like that? And they talked about migration patterns. Everyone would live mm -hmm. in the middle of the country. Yeah. Because the further you are away from the ocean... If it comes out of the ocean, then yeah, you move right. away from you the ocean. You move away from it. You don't go anywhere. Like the Pacific Rim world. Water. Yeah. You move away from bodies of water. Mm -hmm. You find a place to live. It's like the mountains are great because something that big does not want to go into thin air mm -hmm. and weak atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Something that big does not want to haul its enormous yeah. body across yeah, the Yeah, I feel like Colorado was made as a shelter from everything right. else. Like it's high up and it's in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> so. And I think maybe a place like, because I... As much as I love the desert, I think that would be probably good with the germ situation. It would be good with the germ situation. It would be bad with anything, with trying to grow your own food. Right. Living in the desert is a problem. Yeah, and there's a certain kind of person Without very the well. massive irrigation that mm -hmm. we are diverting yeah. to it now, which we would not do. Southern California would also be on, uh, nah. Right. We're not going to keep this water flow up, so that ain't going to happen. So that I was thinking... Creep up to the Owens Valley where there's natural... I was resources. thinking the um, Seattle area mm -hmm. is probably good. There's a lot of runoff coming yeah. out. There's ocean right there. So mm -hmm. once everything got cleared out, you'd have you'd clean waters to, to fish and things. But And the temperatures are not yeah. bananas. So that was my yeah, thought. That's, that's where I want to live. Where would you want to live in the apocalypse, guys? Listeners, let us know. Depends on the kind of apocalypse. Post-apocalypse. Yeah. Also, really... My answer is, please let the apocalypse kill me. I'm not special, I, and I, I should just die. I think we could make a go of it. I find very interested in the post-apocalyptic world. I think I'm more suited to that than I am to this. Right I go there. to REI and buy a lot of MREs mm -hmm. until I could figure out how to grow foods. <laughs> um, I can grow a carrot, I think. I did it one in elementary school. carrot. One carrot. Gotta get, get some seeds from Home Depot. Um... What was I going to say? So, they're going to go for a walk. Stu says, I promise to try to come home. That's as, that's as good as he can get, right? And they all get get ready to go. Mm -hmm. And they, uh, Larry actually leaves his, his uh, guitar behind, which mm -hmm. he carries with him in the other miniseries. Yeah. In this one, he leaves it behind with Joe, who gives him a hug. It's very sweet, but he doesn't say any more words. Right. And then Glenn comes out, vape pen in hand, and Polaroid camera around his neck. And he's like, I thought we were only bringing the, the clothes on our back. And he's like, this isn't for me. This is for Franny. She doesn't take this picture for posterity. And mm -hmm. she does. She takes a picture of the four of them and Kojak. Uh, she's like squeezed together. I'm like, take two steps back. What, <laughs> what are you talking about? And the three of, or the four of them are in this picture which I'm sure we're going to see in the next episode or maybe the episode after that. And they start walking. And uh, they don't bring any food or water. And they're talking about, like, it's 700 miles. <laughs> and we have to go through, yes. <laughs> and we have to go through Utah, uh -huh. which uh, Larry's like, I've toured Utah, and I remember them having long stretches. Not that much. Right. And... You know, they're like, well, you know, there are streams and rivers and 
And Larry's like, or Glenn says that, and Larry says, yeah, but do you know enough which of them don't have Giardia? Mm-hmm. And they're just walking, and they <laughs> slowly, one at a time, the two white dudes and then the black dude all look at Ray. <laughs> and she's like, what do you think the engine girl knows which <laughs> knows the ways of the earth at least the, enough to keep, or to tell you what to drink to keep from shitting yourselves to death? And they're like, they're like abashed. They're yeah, like, right. oh yeah, but also, but do you though? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, of course I do, <laughs> which is so good because she's like, I mean, and I wonder if she wrote some of this stuff because this the, feels like lived in Native right. experience. They may have had a Native person in the I in the writers' room. She did earlier when she's as an indigenous profanity and on she, somebody. She does in this one as yeah, well. Yeah. I just like the idea that she is very. I mean. Yeah, it's and just, she's an indigenous person, so I would hope that if they didn't, mm-hmm. they asked for her input because. Right. But this feels like a lived-in experience where you're just like, just as a she's a, what a fifty or sixty-year-old woman, like mm-hmm. in real life. Yeah, um, I'm sure that this type of shit happens to her all the fucking time, and to be able to turn it around on them and like shame them a little, it's a, it's weird because it's like ew, a racist question, but also fair question though, like. I see the way that you dress and carry yourself in the world. I think you could probably tell us how to not shit ourselves to death. <laughs> um, and they're walking and they're walking. And this is where time gets weird. We split back to Harold and Nadine, which is the next morning. Uh-huh. Um, and... They're riding on their motorcycles. They're riding on their motorcycles. They've got they've got the same distance, right? 700, 800 miles. And, um... She's 54. Okay. Uh, Nadine speeds up to go 120, 130 miles an hour, and Harold speeds up to keep up, looks over at her. When he's looking at her, she looks forward and sees a... A turn coming mm-hmm. up that you have to drop to 25 miles an hour. There's a sharp turn coming up. And she just puts her brakes on. Stops her motorcycle. Harold doesn't realize what's happening until, of course, it's too late. And tries to turn and skids out. Fly, hits a guard, like, wall. It's a little mm-hmm. stone wall, guard wall. They're in the mountains. He flies off of his bike. We see it from below. Yeah. He first of all, we see his helmet come, and I'm like, yeah. "Well, if you haven't strapped it to your head, how the f- much use is it?" As it's like in slow motion coming off, I'm just like, "Shit!" And then we see his body, and he lands in a tree. The tree is punctured his chest. His leg is very broken, mm. and he immediately starts yelling for Nadine to send a rope down to help him. And I'm like, "You're a." Fucking well, beyond the fact that Nadine is not going to do anything to help him, which she does not, um, I don't understand how he thinks that she's going to rescue him either, because he's obviously done for. Oh yeah, he has—he's in denial for right. sure, a hundred percent. Like he—he coughs up immediately a bunch of blood. I will say the makeup on Harold uh, in this yes. episode is very good, which is why it's the makeup at the end of this episode is so baffling, but. And he's like, throw me the rope for the love of God. And then you just hear her say, it's better this way, Harold. And she still, this bitch still has no emotion in her voice. Nothing. 
And she's basically like, uh, he needs me and I need him and you weren't supposed to be a part of it. You are me and we are we and And she says, you could end it, you know, you could end it quickly if you're brave. And he pulls the gun and fires two shots towards her, but doesn't mm. hit her. And then yes. hears her drive off. And then he just yells Nadine a couple of more times. And I'm like, nah. Uh, and we do come, we leave him. And then Look, we come well, back to uh, him. Uh, their relationship has been so problematic yeah. all through this film. Because it doesn't serve the purposes of the story that they hate each other this much. Yeah. Um, but my issue with it at this point now is, what... First of all, what made him think that she's going to rescue him? He's what made him think that he's he was, he could survive. What about, happened? He's delusional about everything. And, and he like, thinks he's been promised something, right. which we've never seen him be promised right. anything. We've never seen Nadine's been promised something. Yes, absolutely. He's but going to, apparently, she's never read something. Like he it this says he says he's going to give me someone that looks makes you look like a potato sack. But we've never seen right. Harold interact with Flag. No. We've never seen Flag make him any promises. So he, this is just stories he's telling himself right. about. Well, I've done all these things, mm-hmm. and now I'm going to be rewarded. But he's not been promised. Yeah, jack shit. Uh, and yeah, so he, we see, we leave, and we come back to him, and it's dark now. And it, the blood on his face is dried. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's trying to eat a payday bar, <laughs> which is a a bar of caramel with peanuts attached to the outside. And he, like, can't. He's choking. He's right. dehydrated. He's been laying, bleeding out all day. Like, he's... It, yeah. And he just puts it down on his chest and pulls out his notebook. And he starts writing. And we don't see what he's writing. And then we come back, we cut back to him a little bit later and it is light outside. So he has gone a day and a night mm-hmm. and another, yeah, into the so next it's morning. it's a slow death, which makes it even better. And yeah. you see mm-hmm. him sign his name, which is crazy because we hear what he writes later and it didn't take him that long. Right. Like enough from day to night or night to day, but that's fine. And he puts the notebook down. And we pull, thank God, we pull back and we see some vultures that have been circling him but haven't started attacking him yet. And he pulls out his gun and he fires into his face and dies. And they do pull back. It's it's handled actually pretty well. It's one of the few discreet things they've done. Yeah. I mean, I could have done without all the face vomiting and the whatever from the beginnings of the first couple of episodes. Yeah, well, it's important you know that this this is a bad illness. Okay. Super important that you know that. Uh, okay, so that that's the end of Harold's story. Mm-hmm. Bye, Harold. And we follow them on their walk, and there is a montage of time that goes by. Mm-hmm. They're walking through snow. They're walking across. They they have a brief conversation at the early in the walk where they're like comparing. We can't carry that. We can't get in a car, but we did get backpacks to carry supplies in. And they're like, well, you know, God helps those who help themselves and things like that. They're like, we were provided these things to help us carry. We're still on foot, but, Mm -hmm. you know. And, uh, you know, Larry's like, I don't even know the point because we're all going to get killed when we get there. And Ray's like, Mother A wouldn't send us to get killed. And Larry's like, she didn't know what was going to happen. 
And I'm like, Ray, mother, I would absolutely kill y'all to be sent you all to be killed. Said that one would fall, so they're aware that one of them is not going to make it on the through the trip. Through the trip, right? Um, which I think the only person who took that in truly Mm -hmm. was Glenn, and I'll tell you why when we get there. Uh, Oh yeah, I know. And uh, you know, Glenn's like, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound, and Stu's like, I thought you were an atheist, and. And uh, Glenn talks about how his wife said, mm-hmm. you know, used to tell him, it's as foolish, if not more so, to believe in something for which there is no evidence as to disbelieve something for which there is overwhelming evidence. Right. He's like, I don't know if there's a God, mm-hmm. but I saw Mother Abigail. She was in a dream, and I painted her, and then she was real. Right. And so now I'm just in it. I'm just yeah. in it. I'm in it until the end, I guess, because this is the train that we're on. And so they keep walking, and, and we do see this montage of time going by. And days are passing, because mm-hmm. uh, they're, get, like, they're walking 30, 40 miles a day, and, and we know, at, at, and at the end of this montage, they're on this mountain road, and they're talking about, hey, do you want to make a stand? Are you going to make a camp right up above this? And Larry says, you know, isn't it bad luck to um, camp where there are vultures? So there are right. vultures around. And at that point, they walk up and they see Harold's bike. Now, in this scene, we know several days have gone by because they have... And, oh, they're saying it doesn't matter if it, about bad luck because we're in his territory now. Can't you feel it? Mm-hmm. So they have crossed over some invisible barrier, maybe the Nevada state line. I don't right. know. Um, but Stu has not shaved and still has the exact same amount of facial hair on his face. And it killed... I'm just like... Y'all have been, because Franny says, how long is it going to take? And he says, we're probably going to get there right around the the end of February. And that's like months away because they had to go 700 miles. And he says, you know, Glenn's not in his 20s anymore. And he says, well, neither are me and Ray. And I was like, and neither is Larry. None of y'all are children. Like, this is not, this is not a thing. And, uh. So, so several se- weeks probably have gone by. Yeah, I don't know. And his face is—he's mm. got like three o'clock shadow. Like he's got not even a full face of stubble, and it's exactly the same as when they left. I feel like uh, Greg Kinnear got a little scruffier. I feel like Larry got a little scruffier. I don't know what's going on with James Marsden's face. Maybe he cannot grow a beard. No. Maybe he just has a genetic disorder. I don't. It's weird, and it bothered me. I'm like, why? <laughs> why do you not have a beard right now? You should have some hair on your face. Uh, so they come up upon, they're like, is that Harold's bike? Tell me that's Harold's bike. And uh, it is, in fact, Harold's bike. And it is Harold's body down there. Yep. And Larry's like, hops the little stone Divide you know, right. guardrail, at which point they're like, What are you doing? And he's like, We can't just leave the body uncovered. And Ray goes, Fuck him. <laughs> and I was like, Well, I guess that's their one fuck because I don't think that anybody has sworn up until now. Mm. And she's just like, Nah, he murdered Nick. Right. And Larry's like, 
I followed him to Boulder. Whatever he did or whatever the dark man made him do doesn't change that. Right. And Larry goes down. He picks up, like, he shoes the birds away. And and Harold's clearly been there for some time. Uh, or maybe not. I mean, that's the thing. Like, what is the, I, I what is time even? Right. He I should have had to have been there for, is. like, three or four weeks. Mm. But the time in this episode is yeah. so jacked up and the Nadine's little piece doesn't make it clearer uh, and he reads what Harold had written which is that when he was a kid they and I guess that's all the kids in mm. town would go to the sand pit and all of the kids would jump off the top of this pit and roll down mm. and he could never bring himself to do it and they, all the other kids would call him a pansy. And he says, if like, every day I would go back to try and prove myself, and every day I would not prove myself. Yeah. And he says, if I had been able to bring myself to jump just once, I wonder if I would have done the actions that brought me here. Uh, but he, then he says, fuck the bullies, and then fuck me for being worse than them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I apologize for my actions, but I don't deny that I did them of my own free will. Sort of reinforcing maybe that fucking flag was not in his head. Right. It was just was Harold him. being Harold. That was now, and then he says, "Garden domestic evil." I'm gonna sign my. I'm gonna sign in a way or with a name that was given to me in Boulder Free Zone that I couldn't accept then, but I accept freely now. Mm. And he just signs Hawk, and then he shoots himself. Now. I don't know what the fuck I'm supposed to get out of this thing. I don't know that it wasn't a real apology, right? I mean, he says, I apologize, but he's not sorry for what he did. He's sorry that he wasn't strong enough to not do what he did, which is, I don't, what? (laughs) I don't know what I'm supposed to get out of this. And the first time we watched this, I couldn't even take in what was being said. Mm. I, on the rewatch, I really like focused in on what it was. Uh, And I'm just like, this, I, I don't understand what, how this series wants me to feel about Harold. They made him my fucking primary for, Mm. He's the intro into this world. And I don't know at this point, like, his weird non-apology, or it didn't, it wasn't a non-apology. It just doesn't feel sincere. It feels like a person trying to justify why they've done the things that they've done. It it feels like somebody saying, I fucked up. Mm -hmm. uh, And it sucks that I fucked up. And I'm a shitty person for fucking up. But I did do the fuck up. Bill Clinton apology. Mistakes were made. (laughs) You know, that kind of thing. That wasn't Clinton. That was Nixon. But that was (sighs) also um, reinforced by his kind of... uh, I didn't have sex with that woman because we're defining I didn't have, sex. I didn't have way. sexual relations with that woman because right. I have defined sexual relations very, very narrowly in right. my head right now, yes. Meow, Ziggy wants to come in. Yeah, I just, I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they want It didn't want make me feel me. sorry for him. It didn't make me no. feel any sympathy for him either. Nope. It's just he, he did it. It didn't what he put did. a button on it. It didn't put an explainer on it. You telling me that you've been a, f- and again, I feel a wuss and una- uh, unable to actually take action for your whole life? I'm- I feel like this adaptation 
again, only works for people who already know the story and who already love the story. Yeah. Because otherwise, why on earth would we, we would get the impression, if we were just coming into this new, that Harold is a major character who will survive until the end, that Harold is the kind of... Because when we have Stu, we're following Stu as we did in the original adaptation, yeah. we have a human barometer for good and bad. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's a he's not a dynamic character necessarily, but he is a moral uh thermometer. To use barometer, thermometer, I'm using too many of those. I yeah. The, the idea is that it's like he's decent so that we can judge whether or not a person's being honest or whether or not a person's we can do that. Here we start with Harold and going, well, he's all messed up and what he accepts as reasonable is not reasonable in itself. We're following him around for too long. And we don't understand exactly what part Flag is playing or what part Mother Abigail is playing because they're restricted to just a few scenes in those early episodes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I will say that the reading, because while Larry is reading this, Owen Teague is doing the voiceover, mm-hmm. and I think his acting in this episode particularly right. was very good. I hate this character. Mm-hmm. I want to see this dude do other things because so far he's uh. been a shitbag in it and a shitbag in this. And I'm like, there's kind of a shitbag in that hollow. No, what was the name of the film that we saw? That's right. Yes. The, the, not the slender man, but it's that, um, the Nepalese, uh, Tulpa movie, I guess. Yeah. Hold on. Hook Scientology in the eye. What was the name of that film? Hold on. I will tell you in a second. The empty man. Mm. Yeah, so I'm just like, he seems very good. Yeah, I, I... Oh, God, he's in that... He's in Cell, too. I don't even remember that. But he played Jordan in Cell. He must have been just a kid kid, right? Uh, it was 2016, and he's... He was born in 1998. I can't do that. He was 18. Okay. I'm starting to kind of remember who he was in that. So he's just, but he's like all Stephen King all the time. That right. this is his third Stephen King thing, and he's like a child. I he's think not that, a child, um, but you know what I'm saying. That overall, though. Oh, he was I, in Lock and Key as well. I'm glad to see Harold go. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad we're done with Harold's storyline. King wrote the character. It wasn't. Maybe it wasn't as pervasive in our culture, for people like Harold to exist. And I don't were, think we knew about them right. as much. I, mean, I think those people exist. The Harold that he was writing was more akin to the comic book guy in The Simpsons. What it, what it the feels, Harold yes. that he's writing now, or this Harold, as relevant to our culture, is an actual, genuine threat to us now. And the, and the real reality, well, mm. he was a, clearly a threat then, well, too. Well, he was then, too, but he was like, in that one, it felt more like he was pushed into the wrong thing. But also, yeah. as the aspiring writer, with the spike, the nail spike on his wall mm-hmm. of rejection letters, which Stephen King did, he was also Stephen King's Standard. avatar in yeah, the book. I feel like he was less... Steven, I think it was almost as if he said, if I went wrong, this would be me. This would be how, this, uh, this I have if all I this have, in me. Right. If I and I have, guess we got to thank God for Tabitha mm, King. <laughs> Tabitha and the Methodist Church. He would have gone there for the grace there, of those, those, two things. those two things. Right. right. I literally was thinking when I was wa- watching him sign this thing, I was like, right. God, thank God for Tabitha King, because right. woof. 
uh, well, I mean, and he created rage. He created all of these characters mm. who've done these heinous things, which means he's thought about these heinous things. Right. Thinking about doing a thing and doing a thing are not the same thing. Yeah, I know exactly. this, unless you're the Catholic Church, in which case I guess it is the same thing. <laughs> that's another podcast. That's <laughs> the, our, yeah, that's our the, other podcast. We have one. to address that sometime. Uh, and Larry takes the leather jacket off of his back and covers Harold mm. with it, which might be the nicest thing anyone has ever done for Harold, right. but also Harold no, didn't. His one friend. Yes, that's yeah, true. No, like Teddy said run. Tried very hard. Teddy said run, and, and it breaks my heart. The triumph of this version of the story is seeing how many times he... He had so many hands out, and he just spit on all of them. And he just insisted on failing. Yeah, yeah. And if that had been his uh, his um, realization, instead of, I should have been more brave and jumped off of, you know, this rock or in the quarry, I don't know. If he had, if that had been his realization, like so many people had tried, and there were so many chances and I turned them all down, if that had been it, then I would have felt some sort of pity towards him. But the way that it was phrased was like there was still some defiance in him. Yeah. And that doesn't make me sympathetic towards him at all. Right. So so that's the end of Harold. Right. We will see him no more. I'm going to say series wrap on Owen Teague. <laughs> uh, and although I bet we get a flashback later. Who knows? I mean, I we have we a do. whole, whole fa- final we've episode. Got two, we've got two more episodes. A final episode, though, that is just... That's new. Epilogue. Yeah. So he might come back. So they keep walking. Mm -hmm. And they come upon a (laughs) uh, valley of death. Right. (laughs) Is what they come upon. Just a fault line through the freeway. Mm -hmm. A, what would you say, 30 foot? Maybe more. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Several story deep. Yes. Cavern. Maybe twenty yards it's like across. A fish it's that's not opened in the road. In the road, and, and everything else. There's no way to cross that. They're yeah, gonna have to go through. Across it. You're gonna have to climb yeah. down one side and climb up the other. So Stu goes down first, mm-hmm. followed by Kojak, followed by Ray and Glenn and Larry. They all get down. Mm-hmm. Then they send Kojak up the other side to follow the trail that the dog makes, which is smart. I was like, they should send Kojak up to see how he goes, and that's what they do. Uh, and they all start, they say, last one down, first one up. So Larry goes up first, Ray goes up, Glenn goes up, followed very closely by Stu. Stu's like, watch, watch your step, old man, and Glenn says, kiss my ass, and then he slips. And they kind of catch each other, and Stu goes, I think I just did, <laughs> which was pretty funny. And then Glenn gets up, and then Stu gets up, puts his little arms over the edge of the thing and says, piece of cake. And then, of course, the fucking right. pavement breaks, and he falls down, and it's wicked. It is worse than Harold's fall, because it is in real time. They don't slow it down, and right. he breaks his leg real bad. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> they're able to, they have the advantage of uh, the original network yeah. run of the stand had to, like the network run of it, yes, had, had to tone to that shit down. dial back the amount of gore that you were going to be able to yeah. see, and they were already pushing it. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised that the tunnel scene in the original, they yes. didn't even try to recreate that here. No. 
um, the tunnel scene, the original. I'm surprised I ever got on television. Yeah. Like, wow, okay, that 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 broke some, you know. Yeah, it was uh, very disturbing. Some of the network restraints right there. Yeah. Uh, so he then they all follow him down. Mm. Uh, he makes Larry pull his leg straight. He says, "This isn't the first time I've had a, ba- a ba- I, I've had a bad step." Mm-hmm. So he has broken his leg like this before, or okay. something like this before. And uh, Larry puts it back into place. They put a splint around it. They tie it all up. Uh, Glenn gives him some medicine, and uh, Larry and Ray say, "Oh, we'll go grab. We'll, we'll go look for uh, something to." some sort of stretcher or something mm-hmm. to, to move you out of here. And he, and she's like, no, you all have to go. You have to leave me. She said one of us would fall and I'm the one. And Glenn had been sitting over to the side and the, Larry and Larry and Ray start to protest. And mm-hmm. Glenn's like, no, he can't, we yeah. can't, we can't continue reason to do what mother Abigail said, because yeah. apparently she just, Counting off, they're able to tick off a list of things that she's The described. things that she said, right. So mm-hmm. we're still on the right track, right. presumably, right? And uh, and she had put Stu in charge. So then Stu says, well, Larry, you're going to be in charge. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what do you mean? Or like, why me? And he says, I see something in your kid or something like that. And uh, he's, Larry's like, "This is I'm not leaving you. Like, we're mm-hmm. not leaving you. Like, shut up. We're not yeah. leaving you. And Stu says, did you go to church as a kid? And he's like, yeah, why? And he says, do you remember Psalm 23? And Psalm 23 is one of those things that everybody knows, even if he didn't go to church. Yeah. Yea, though I walked through the valley of death, uh, the valley of the, the shadow, shadow of death, death, I shall feel, fear no evil. And he makes Larry repeat, I shall fear no evil. Mm-hmm. I shall fear no evil. And he says, look at me. Say it again. I shall fear no evil. And then he says, mean it. Mm-hmm. And I think Larry's line reading... Um, Joven, Joven, Adepo's Mm -hmm. line reading on that last I Shall Fear No Evil is actually really effective because it's resigned. Mm -hmm. It is an acceptance. It is not like, I shall fear no evil. It's not. It's almost like a throwaway. Like, Mm -hmm. if I believe this, it is something that you just take in and you just say, like, you know, I'm 5'10 and I shall fear no evil. Like, it, it it is what it is, right? And, uh, and he, you know, because Stu's like, look around. And he's like, what are you saying? This is the valley? And I'm like, I mean, yeah, yes. <laughs> it pretty much is. And uh, Glenn says, you know, how's your, how's your pain? Mm-hmm. And he said, after that pill you gave me, not bad. And he says, okay, well, uh, I'm leaving you the rest of the bottle. And uh, three or four of those could be fatal. So you need to be aware of that. Do you get what I'm saying? And it's like, yeah. Everybody fucking gets what you're saying, Glenn. This is you're not being subtle. Mm. And I really like their little um their little goodbye is really cute. So Glenn says, It's been a pleasure to getting to know you, East Texas. And Stu says, I wish I could say the same. <laughs> <laughs> and Glenn just shakes his head and says, I didn't mean it when I said it. <laughs> I'm just like I they, really they like. Have that. A really good, they have really good chemistry. They do, and I think they have some of the the chemistry that we've been missing. Not in the actors, or the, but we didn't get enough of Tom Cullen and, and Nick. Nick, and just so, time wise, we didn't right, get enough and time. They, they did really well together, though. Yeah, they did. They they made a great. Um, what worked in the first adaptation is that they were kind of a superhero team, you know. 
And we didn't get enough of that in this version, but we did get these two. Yeah, and they seemed we did. To genuinely like each other. And I think Greg Kinnear did a great job, even if you all can't even remember who Greg Kinnear is. is what... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then they go off. And then we get a scene a little bit later on. And Stu's like trying to eat something or something. Mm. And he looks up and Kojak. Okay. Kojak is there, and he's like, you got to go. Glenn's going to have a heart attack. Like, go, get. Mm -hmm. And the dog just stays there, and he picks up a rock and throws it at him, which he's not going to – he's at the top of the fucking thing. He's. I'm like, first of all, don't throw rocks at dogs. And second of all, you can't from a Uh seated position on the bottom of this thing, high, no doubt high on opiates because he broke his leg real bad, and so he's got to have a lot of Mm painkillers in him. Not going to hit that damn dog. And then the dog just barks a couple of times. And then we cut over to see uh, Ray and Larry and Glenn. And Glenn is just screaming, just yelling, Kojak, Kojak. Mm. And Larry and Ray are like just looking back and forth. They're like, you know, he's probably just chasing a rabbit. And he's smart. And if he finds anything other than a ra- bigger than a rabbit, he'll run back to us. It'll mm. be fine. And, and, and he's like pulling his hair. And he's like just yelling, Kojak. And he's like, I shouldn't have let him off the leash. Like he's freaking out. Mm. And then we hear a car coming. And up the they're on a dirt road at this point. Now y'all, that was one of the things with the with the montage. We see them heading out and they are just walking through fields, mm-hmm. walking along ridges, and then they're on some roads, and I'm like, how I would stick to roads. That's right. me, but you know, well, you do you, I guess. Two things. I mean, I two guess they had to, to get of. to running right. water, which right. they were on a road. Well, when the when, the, when the washout the or whatever, yeah, the fissure that happened. Yeah. And the second thing, though, it might be. That and they're on the road when they find Harold. If you're a spy thing. of the evil country, you probably don't. But want they're to be not someplace. spies. That's the thing. They're just walking in. They're just walking in. They're walking in unarmed and open. Mm. Like, they're not spies. And and I think Mother A had to know. And Mm. the the spies that they had sent previously, of course, now know that he can see the people coming. Right. Um, And so Mother Abigail knew that they would see him coming. And Tom Cullen turned out to be the best spy of all. We should get him in the next episode. Right. But I mean, I just so, love the fact that being that he could not. Yeah. Because he couldn't. Right. Couldn't see him. Yeah. All he could see was moon. Moon. Yeah. Where's the moon? Just the camouflage right. of moon. It was a great idea. Good job, Nick. Good job. Yeah. Um, although I think uh, Glenn brought him up before Nick did. Mm, yeah, I think so. Because Nick was the one who. Just he says, I can hate. Like saying you. this makes me feel sick. And then Nick is like, yeah, that's the right thing. Um, but so they hear a car come in. It's a limo. Mm-hmm. Uh, the driver gets out. We thought it was Rick Baker. I don't think it's Rick Baker. Right. If it was, it's uncredited because it's not on his IMDb page as an actor because he does have an actor page because right. his beautiful white hairs. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, and Lloyd Baker. and a big dude with a big gun get out and he's like, hey, what does he say? Fellas and fellettes? Something. Uh, He's you know, we've been waiting for you. He's, he's so flamboyant, and I don't know why. Least threatening henchman of all time. Like uh, he looks like a pimp. Right. 
Like, he is dressed 100% like a pimp. Right. It's super bizarre. I don't know. Whatever. It's fine. And he's got a cigarette in a long holder like Cruella fucking DeVille. Right. I don't understand this. But, so he's like, get in the car, and then they drive back. Now, we'll go to Nadine. Nadine this, this, this is where time gets squished and weird, right? Mm-hmm. So, Nadine is driving through the desert, sees something off in the distance, stops her bike, looks out, and sees flag in the distance. Mm-hmm. So, this has to be the day after the explosion. Right. You, she's going 100 miles an hour on a motorcycle. She would have gotten there in a day. Yeah. It's... Uh, maybe two, but probably one. I drive. I've driven, you know, five hundred miles in a day, mm-hmm. and that wasn't a full day. Yeah, and I wasn't going to my betrothed demon husband. You know, uh, I think that there'd be some hustle in her step. You know what I'm saying? So she gets off the bike. She walks over. She drops her motorcycle helmet, which is so weird. She's walking. She sees roses on the ground, and she rose petals on the ground, and she follows them to where there is like a red carpet rolled out into the sand and when she steps onto it she is surrounded by the hotel in vegas now she isn't what we need to remember about flag and i don't know if we know this about flag but i know this about flag because i've read the book and i've seen other things where he's a character in it or read other things it's all glamour right Mm -hmm. everything about randall flag is a glamour he is it's a trick of the eye it is an illusion. None mm. of it is real, right? So she steps in and is in their his hotel room in Vegas, but she is not there, still in the desert. And he is... <laughs> she walks into his room, or like his office or whatever, and he's sitting at a desk with his feet up on it. And I'm like, yeah. I would feel so special if I walked in and a dude was just fucking feet up like, so... <laughs> like, it's so weird. He stands up... She says, it's done. I don't know how many I killed, but a lot of them. And then he kisses her. And then he says, you've kept yourself pure for me. And I'm like, I mean, your definition of purity and my definition of purity are very different. Consider the source, though, in this case. So it's just... Like, if if you blow up anybody, you're not a pure person anymore. Yeah. If you grind on Harold until he comes in his pants, I would argue that's not very pure. Virginity is not a thing. It's like not it's in good so, taste either. It's just so it's, it's precious, but consider again the source uh, who's making these comments. I know, I know, but it's aggravating. And yeah, he like kisses her and then spins her around and then she's wearing this long white negligee and then he takes it off of her and then they're in bed and they're having sex and you see a lot of his ass because he was in true blood and he's used to this shit <laughs> um, and in the middle of it she's like no something's wrong something's wrong and we flash back and we see him in his real form which he just looks like a burn victim or something like you know first of all he's pudgy like right. the body double right or the the body that they use for the demon mm-hmm. is like, sort of shorter and wider than Skarsgård is, for sure. She's laying on the ground in the desert, nude, and this thing is on top of her. But it does just look like it's got, like, like black burn mm-hmm. scars all over it. And it, like, bellows into the, into the sky. And then there's a cut, and there's a commercial. I think that <laughs> this version, what disturbed me about the original... I think they overuse the demon makeup 
They used it too often. They did. In the, uh, but I like the morph that they do right. in this scene in the in the first miniseries right. where they it's almost like a claymation mm-hmm. type right. change where then he's got the horns, yeah. but it looks like his face melts but into it. Also it also looks demonic. It does. And this sort of this. I mean, I get the imagery that they're using, uh-huh. but it's. Lackluster. I'm not that scared. The makeup job on that first film is really creepy. They had the contact lenses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was horrible looking. It was hideous. This, I, you see it so briefly. And you see it so briefly. That's the other thing. That you're not even really sure what's Mm -hmm. going on. Also, it's less of a rape here. Yeah. Um, Because all she does does is something's wrong. And, and then, then he fl- she hurries through it yeah. before she realizes what's going on. Right. Whereas in the original film, she's screaming. She's screaming. She's right. screaming. She's obviously which... going to lose her brain, her mind. Which her she mind. Does. Right. Well, in, and in this case, then we flash to, I put a spell on you, his playing. Right. And Nadine is wearing, Amber Heard is wearing a terrible wig, which mm. they did on purpose, I think. Right. So she's wearing this like Marilyn Monroe wig. She's got a red lip, mm. a long white flowing dress, and she's walking with Flag, who is still in his Canadian tuxedo of right. denim jacket, denim pants, uh, to a car. And they get in the car. She's wearing these white sunglasses. Like I said, red lip. Uh-huh. This platinum wig. It's clearly not her hair, right? It's this. Right. It's this straightened but curled sort of fifty style. Mar- She's got a very Marilyn Monroe situ or a Rita Hayworth type mm-hmm. situation happening. And they're driving in the car, and he's just looking straight ahead, and she's in the crook of his arm. And the the I put a spell on you is playing, right? Right. Because this is all a glamour, right? This is not what's happening. And she gets <laughs> a stomach cramp and the uh-huh. and the music fades, but right. doesn't go away completely. And he like is he's like he puts his arm around her or whatever, and then like the music comes back up and then mm-hmm. she like snuggles back into her arm and looks up. She's it's it's a very like um, well, pinup style. This to me, thing. it's like a very uh, that scene. I like the choice of music, but again, taking away the idea that she was violated in some way. Because well, it's it's w- not even that. It's that she's not. Even, she doesn't even know what has happened to right. her. She doesn't. She is not. But it's not like experiencing the actual world right the, now. He's in her in head. The first mm-hmm. film version is catatonic, and she's just not putting things together. And this one is sort of hypnotized into believing that she's in, this is the consummation of the relationship. Yeah. Um, it feels to me that right. th- that the choice was in the first one, once he uses her for what he needs her for, right. he doesn't need to really take care of her anymore right. by putting this thing in her brain. Right. And in this one, he knows at least until that baby is out of her. I've got to keep her. What the motivation is going to be for what she winds up doing? Well, that's yeah. Or well, if that's changed, a, because, a lot's going to happen in this right. next episode. So she's like, "We're almost home, babe," and they're twenty miles from the city. Mm-hmm. And then we flash back to Glenn and Ray and Larry in the back of this limo mm-hmm. with Lloyd, who says, "My boss knew, you know, knew." Down to the minute when you'd come out of that canyon. It's crazy, right? right? And then we see Vegas. And we see he's putting in, it's not even subliminal messages, Mm -hmm. just this thing over and over of we tried it their way and it didn't work. 
we don't have prisons. We don't have like any, and it's just saying, but it's over. We tried it their way and it didn't work. And we're seeing, you know, workers being beaten by overseers. Uh, We see Caesar's palace, the Caesar statue in front now has Alexander Skarsgård's head to which, you know, our roommate said, who did the marble work on that? And I was like, it's a glamour. This is all, it's an illusion. Mm -hmm. All that's his whole thing. Right. We see just gangs of people beating the out of other people on the street. Uh, and then they pull up to the hotel. Flag is like weirdly floating in his window because that's like his favorite pastime. <laughs> he just really yeah, likes to like put himself in like a weird. Thing going on. Yes, it is very much like he's mind freaking us, uh-huh. which is what he's doing. Uh, and he says, "Babe, why don't you go uh, welcome our visitors?" So they get out of the car and they walk into the hotel. And Nadine goes out, and we see Nadine still in the same wig and the same outfit, the same mm. white dress, lace dress. Mm. It's almost like um, what Morticia Adams wears, yeah. but white. Uh, same red lip. So this is what she sees herself as. We see Rat Girl, who is Fiona um, mm. Duraf, and another um, sort of hench person go down with her in the in the elevator and they're like looking at each other and she's like you see her looking into into the um, glass of the elevator and seeing her beautiful reflection or whatever and she walks out and we see now then her walking out towards the lobby where she's gonna welcome these people yeah. who all know who she is right and the back of her from the back her hair is like flat mm-hmm. and uh, it's white and you know, she says, you know, welcome friends or something like that. And we see her, they look startled and we see her and she is drawn. She is fully pregnant mm-hmm. and whatever's in there is moving in a way that is very upsetting. Yes. And she looks like a corpse. But here's the thing. As good as the makeup was on Harold earlier, this looks like if you went on YouTube and were like, you know, children's tutorial for skeleton this makeup. It looks like something, it's, you know, like the, the pictures on the packages of like the spirit store. Yes. You know? It's um, so... And, it, and I, yeah. I paused it today to be like, is it as bad as I think it is? Yes, it is. It is as bad as and I thought I don't, it was. I, I think it might not be the fault of the production crew. I can think of people in the past, and we've discussed that, who... Um, have a real issue with being under makeup, and so you wind oh, up doing maybe. these sort of half-assed jobs. I mean, we it talk, really looked we like a skeleton in under four minutes or whatever. Yeah, yeah Heather it's, Graham when she did um, like Jack. she has white lines right. drawn on her lips, like the, the vertical the white from, lines. Um, uh, Sleepy Hollow, Hollow. novel. Sleepy Hollow. No, no, uh, no, no. The Jack the Ripper started, uh from Hell. Oh, okay. I I get those two movies. And Heather confused. Graham in the film. There was a great deal of effort by the directors to make the other actresses look like the actual murder victims for Jack the Ripper. Right, and she refused. And, and she, she had her own hair makeup. She had a bad dye job. Yeah. She basically wanted to look like Heather Graham because she wanted to be recognizable to her fans. And right, also, we talked about right, that in so her episode here. I think it could be something like that where she doesn't want to, like she did not want to submit to the full makeup because they were doing a good job on other people. Yeah, it, it's so very it really does look like that spirit store. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
it looks exemplar. like exemplar. You know, when you're buying something from the spirit store and you see a picture that's supposed to show you, you know, sexy witch or something, and the, the, yeah, uh, and the, they just follow the tutorial and she put it on herself. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure how this works. I, I was watching some of those older movies I watched over the week. Uh, I felt a little critical of them now as an adult because you can see where the makeup ends of someone stoops over and there's just a very clear line of makeup around their neck. Yeah. And I thought, oh, well, that's a pity. But then watching this, I'm going, well, things haven't changed much. There's yeah, still... no, it's what I was yeah. just like. Instances where it does not I was not just work. like, what is happening? Like, mm. I was pretty high the first time we watched it and I was like, I'm sorry, is this my high eyes? Like, mm-hmm. did I just like weirdly see through the makeup or something? Yeah. No. It was terrible. Yeah. And I was just like, what is happening? Especially because, yeah, like I said, Harold's makeup was super good. Mm-hmm. Ezra Miller's makeup yeah. is really good. Um, and his prosthetics and stuff, and the, the way that he's holding his body. from the first couple of episodes, these weird great goiters that people got. Yes. It was disgusting. But even was, just in this yeah. one episode, to have this really good makeup, because even when, like, as Harold is dying, I was like, uh, that's really good makeup right. that they did here. Well, Whatever the blood yeah. was that they used was the right color. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, like, super bright. Yeah. It was, like, a darker red, and I was like, that's good. That's good. This good makeup. And then mm-hmm. Just Amber Heard's makeup in that last shot was like, what the fuck just happened? And maybe in the next episode it'll get better. Maybe. It was, I think it was worse because it was meant to be a big reveal at the end. Yes, right. Because Because we've been seeing her her in this glamour She's like the the Barry Gifford uh, or the characters out of one of those Quentin Tarantino road films. Yeah. Where there's some sort of weird glamour and sexiness to it. I hate those movies. Anyhow. But then when we see her, it's supposed to be this reveal. She's oh, supposed she's, to be drawn. Like, right. clearly whatever is in gestating is in her, her is, yes. So, like, think, you know, end of Twilight. Right. Like, Kristen Stewart being eaten by her... Her, um... Child? Her fetus. Or whatever that is. And then, if you tried to recreate that with, you know, $4, dollars <laughs> $4, you know, right. Halloween store makeup... That's what the fuck this looked like. Just like, just put some darkness in the hollows of her cheeks. Yeah. Just black is probably fine. Like, what? Yeah, it was a very it's strange choice. And wild. Being that there was so much invested with this reveal at the last yes. minute, it just... For it to just look so it's like, terrible. oh, that's not good at all. Yeah, so that's the end. That's the end of the episode. And next week is The Stand, y'all. I know we've been talking about The Stand for seven episodes, but no, we haven't. We're not going to talk about it until the next episode. Episode eight, it's called The Stand. You know, the titular stand. So sorry that you are definitely hearing my cat outside this door. She's still mad that I was gone this weekend and is really mad that I'm behind a door she can't come Mm -hmm. through. Mm -hmm. So... I'm not going to be able to edit her out, so she's just our third host this week. Uh, So next week, we're going to watch The Stand, episode of The Stand, (laughs) available on Paramount Plus still. Uh, Until then, do you have anything that you would like to recommend? Maybe an older movie, since the newer movies you've been Um, watching have been disappointing? uh, Yeah, I did watch two movies, and one was only worthwhile watching because Maggie Q wandered around through most of it at uh, a... just looking at her sculptural appearance. What that did was, you watch with Maggie Q in it? It was a horror film whose name I can't remember now. Well, I and think it was I wanted to see that. So you got to Very kind of prototypical, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. Maybe I uh, don't. As a matter of fact, at one point, her and her husband go on a vacation, and it had a great hook. 
Her and her husband go on vacation. It's one of the Hemsworths, a lesser Hemsworth, if you uh, will. Liam? And um, they, uh, they go to vacation on Thailand, and they take a drug they're dosed by a hostess at a... So they don't take a drug. They are well, given they're a given drug. One, but they take it willingly. She tells them, oh, oh okay. it's going to strange okay, dreams or whatever. Gotcha. And they discover later on that uh, there's a videotape taken of that night where he murders and buries his wife, uh, the Hemsworth character. Wait, she's not his wife? I she's thought you his said... wife. Oh, okay. So the she she's murdered and buried, and it was captured on tape. And so she's wondering, well, how did this happen? And it winds up, there's a, a mysterious cult on the island, and it's, unfortunately, despite some really good performances... Is it called The Death of Me? Yeah. Oh, Lord. It's okay. so paint by number that at one point, one of them turns to the other, oh, the married couple. Oh, it's not Liam, it's Luke. Yeah. <laughs> it's so paint by the numbers that one turns to the other and said, how did they get out of it in The Wicker Man? And we're like, wow, that is so self-referential for a movie I about like it. that, actually, because I like, like to know what... Like in a zombie movie, mm. if they call them zombies, I'm like, y'all know what George Romero done did. Right. If they call them walkers or biters or something, I'm like, so you're not in the same world as me right. because I know what the fuck a zombie is. Well, this, I mean, I know zombies yeah. aren't zombies, but you know what I'm saying. This kind of had the feeling like they were self-aware enough to know that this has been done before and much, much better. And so, yeah. Oh, what I should say, what I didn't say about this episode that we just watched was, as they're walking into the hotel, what do we hear playing? Baby, can you dig your man? And it's a very Lenny Kravitz sort of style song. Yeah, we should mention that. So that's Larry's version of Baby, can you dig your man? And we did get a little bit of it. So that's important, I think. I don't know why. It is, though. So So you don't want to... Recommend, recommend that. that. What, what do you do want to recommend? recommend? Is an old movie. Old. old for you, not for me. Okay. Um, I discovered a film from 1972 called Child's Play. Child's Play? Mm-hmm. So not the movie from the 80s called Child's Play. No, no. This was a film, and I discovered it completely by accident. I was watching something on Did YouTube. Did you trip and fall over it? Yes. I was watching something on YouTube, and it was apparently something taken from someone's home VHS tape, and it included five minutes of commercials from a TV station in Scotland, and they said Child's Play with James Mason. In 1972. Right. And I'm like, I've never heard of this movie, and I looked at that. At an exclusive boys' school. I'm in. (laughs) That's all I need. at Paramount Plus right now, so I recommend anybody who's curious about. Okay, so the the same place you can go to get the stand is where you can go to get this. So the film is really strange. It's well, what made me want to see it? It was directed by Sidney Lumet. Oh, indeed. And it, you know, Sidney Lumet, for those of you who don't know, directed things like The Pawnbroker, Twelve Angry Men, um, The Hill, and it's based on uh, a play. Dog Day Afternoon, Murder on the Orient Express, uh, Death Trap, The How Verdict. How young was Bo Bridges in this? So the film is about a private school, a boys' school. Um, there is. Bo Bridges comes in as the gym teacher to this school. Oh, so he's not a kid. No. He seems like he should be he's a kid. He's somebody who graduated a few years earlier. Oh, okay. But he comes into the school, and he is, uh, he's the, I guess, the protege in some ways of a really popular teacher who's uh, played by Robert Preston, who's an actor that you might not remember or you might have ever seen The Last Starfighter. That oh, the main character? The, yeah, the, the yes. The, I the, know whoever president. He was on something else, too. Victor Victoria playing the very flamboyant 
gay actor who convinces uh, Julie Andrews that she can live as a female impersonator, even though she's a woman. <laughs> it's a very funny movie. But um, anyhow, so Robert Preston is a very popular teacher. He has all these kids sort of on his side, and he is very apprehensive about another teacher played by James Mason. Uh, oh, I was thinking of Starman. Go ahead. Now, here's the interesting part. As I put on Facebook, because I was really impressed by this performance, James Mason... Um, He's the voice of God, everybody. Right, and I'm used to seeing him in these commanding presences. He played Captain Nemo when I was a kid, which is why I loved his performance. we just watch with James Mason in it? It's we fine. just saw something else. I can't remember. Yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about uh, it. But we saw 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea or Journey to the Center of the Earth. He was this sort of heroic character, the intellectual hero in a lot of movies that I saw. And I was always really impressed with him. He has a sort of commanding presence. In this movie, he's playing a sad sack teacher who nobody likes. Weird. And who is squalid and he's weepy and he's pathetic. I can't even imagine him playing. It that. was amazing watching him do this That's because interesting. he just turns this performance out where he physically looks like he's uncomfortable in his own body. And he's developed this persecution complex against the popular teacher, just going on about how the, the man is sending him dirty magazines at his home and is responsible for these issues that he's having at work. And it was an amazing performance. And what, what, um, What's interesting about how good his performance is, James Mason, because you forget sometimes how an actor like that can really bring bring it in a performance, is that the Robert Preston character was originally cast with Marlon Brando. And Marlon Brando did, want, did not want to act opposite that performance. Mm. He's like, James Mason has that part, and no one's going to, you know, like, I, no one's going to remember me in this movie. He, he's running away with this, he's going to run away with this film. And it's an amazing performance. There's, Elements almost of the supernatural at times. Mm -hmm. There's uh, just like surprising violence in it at times. It's a really good film. It's based on a play, and so there's a feeling of that. There's really great passages of dialogue. But if for nothing else, seeing Sidney Lumet, this great director, just get this great performance out of an actor that you thought you knew. Right. You you know his brand, and then he goes completely opposite to bring in this performance as the most pathetic guy you've ever seen. Um... It was really amazing. So I, I want to recommend that. It's on Paramount Plus. I won't say any more about the movie. Child's Play. Yeah, 1972. Child's Play, 1972. Does not have a talking doll in it. Mm. So do you have anything to recommend this week? I don't know. Okay. I have been literally listening to, doing nothing but listening to Heaving Bosoms. We've talked about it already. So mm. saying it again seems dumb. But literally, I have not watched anything right. or read anything. But you've been busy. You've been away. Or, that's true. Mm -hmm. But even the last two nights, that whole trip, mm -hmm. all I was doing was listening to episodes of that show. Right. I've listened to like 45 hours of Jesus. that show in the last week. It's right. literally all that's I have consumed. almost too much heaving bosoms for me. It's a lot of heaving bosoms. I am not tired Wonderful. of it yet. Right. Uh, I am very much enjoying it. So once again, if you want to listen to that, you definitely should. But uh, I don't know. I guess watch the Mysterious Benedict Society because I haven't yet. I got to catch up. You yeah. all watched the f finale without me. Yes, I'm sorry. I heard it was good. That's I don't want to hear anything else. It's very good. Uh, so I don't have a I don't have a recommendation because I fell down a, a hole and I've just lived there for. That's modern living. Well, yes, previously it was tattoo, whatever, whatever, and now it is this. So 
you know, that's how I roll. Uh, I think that brings us to the end. Next yeah. week, episode eight. Not the final episode, y'all. The second to last episode of The Stand, entitled The Stand. You'd think it wouldn't be the second to last, but here we go. Uh, if you have questions or comments or concerns, or if you have any ideas on where we should go when the world ends, uh, email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. Yes. You can tweet at us at latecomerspod, or you can find us on Facebook by looking for Latecomers Podcast in the search bar. Still no word from Suck on when I get my podcast page. It's going to be never. We'll get it. It's fine. Let me have a guilt on me. We will uh, talk to you next time. Until then, I remind you to take your medicine, and we remind you, better late than never. I stopped.